This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. Paul Whalen, American, former Marine. He's serving a 16-year prison sentence in a labor camp in Russia on bogus charges of espionage. For the first time since he's been in custody, there's a real possibility a presidential summit may lead to some progress on getting him home. But his twin brother, David, while optimistic, is very cautious about the outcome of the summit between President Biden and Vladimir Putin. I'm not sure that I expect anything concrete in relation to Paul. I think, as many people do, uh, there are are generally low expectations for actionable outcomes from the summit next week. David says, in addition to being exposed to the elements in an unheated barracks, there's also crowding. There's been overcrowding issues. There's been uh, work-related issues. Uh, He doesn't speak the language. And so he has occasionally uh, been uh, written up for uh, violations of whatever prison code there is. So he's not sure what that's for and and whether he will be um, eventually put in solitary if he accumulates enough of these little chits. That and much more as we hear exclusive information about what's going on with Paul Whelan in Russia. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. If you follow this podcast, you know that we've been following the case of Paul Whelan since December of 2018. And we haven't spoken to his family on the record for an interview since last year. And we caught up with his identical twin brother, David, this week to find out how he's doing, what his situation is in terms of getting out of there, and what kind of expectations the family has as President Biden prepares to meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin next week in Geneva. David, um, so we haven't spoken to you in a while. Would you give me some background on what's been going on with Paul in the last months? I think the last time we spoke, he was... um, during, it was during his trial or sometime around that time frame. But, um, you know, we've been in contact, but I haven't actually done an interview with you. But uh, we know that he's now in IK-17. Um, so tell us um, how he's doing and, and what's been going on for the last few months. Yeah, the last year, I guess it's been about a year since his trial then. And then uh, in August, he'd been meeting with his counsel and then he disappeared. And he popped up about three weeks later out in Mordovia. It's a part of the Russian Federation that is about eight hours away from Moscow. Uh, and he'd been delivered by prison train to a labor colony called IK-17. Uh, and since then, it's been uh, very much a uh, you know same sort of routine every day, as far as we can tell. Uh, he works on garments that are created for uh, commercial purposes. They're, they're sold by the prison system, I believe to other people. 
Um, and he does that every day. Uh, he has uh, experienced all of the uh, wild temperatures of Mordovia. Um, they have unheated barracks. And so when it gets down to, you know, minus 10 or minus 20, uh, they don't really have a lot of, uh, of coverage uh, for their, um, for their health and things. There's uh, it's sort of health issues that you have in that sort of an environment where a lot of people get sick. And then for a while, there was uh, a time when one barracks was being kept just for the sick and all of the other prisoners were being moved into the other two barracks. So there's been overcrowding issues. There's been uh, work-related issues. Uh, he doesn't speak the language. And so he has occasionally uh, been uh, written up for uh, violations of whatever prison code there is. So he's not sure what that's for and, and whether he will be um, eventually put in solitary if he accumulates enough of these little chits. Um, I think it's a very uncomfortable situation to be in because, uh, as I say, you have to not only navigate a culture you don't speak the language of, uh, but it's a prison culture. Uh, and, and the prisoners run a lot of the uh, internal workings of the prison. Um, until about December, it was very difficult for him to get phone calls out. Uh, but since then, he's been able to speak to our parents regularly. And so that has been really a lifeline. And we've started to see see the, the uh, messages that he shared with our parents were very consistent with the messages he was sharing with the consulate. And so that sort of consistency has helped us have confidence that he's able to share when he needs to share with people, uh, whatever's going on in his life. Yeah, that was, uh, those are some of the things I was going to ask you about specifically. Um, how is he keeping in touch? Is, uh, is it safe to say that his parents those phone calls with them are the only ways you're getting any really relevant and current information from him? Yes. He's still able to write letters. Uh, recently, he sent it over uh, number 1,000 because he has numbered all of the letters through his uh, two and a half years in uh, Russian detention. Um, so he, we still get letters that they go to my folks. But to, as far as current information day to day, um, some of the calls have been very similar to what he would have done uh, when he was driving home from work uh, in Novi, Michigan. He might have given my parents a call while he was uh, in stuck in traffic. And it's the same sort of day to day. You know, this is what's happening in my life. How's your how's your day been sort of thing. Getting to that point of regular communication for my folks, I think, has been a huge benefit and probably has been a, a good mental benefit for Paul, because there's that degree of normalcy that that your life outside of the prison, outside of this uh, ho horrible situation is still uh, accessible. So you've uh, reported, uh, or at least uh, you mentioned in a note this morning that the Russian news is reporting that the Public Monitoring Commission is making its regularly scheduled visit to IK-17, which is the prison camp where he's kept. Um, what do you expect to happen then and there? It's difficult to know. When he was in Lafortova, held in the pre-trial detention facility in Moscow for the first 18 months uh, of his uh, arbitrary detention, um, the public monitoring folks would come in and, and would check in on him and actually ask him questions about how he was doing. Um, and uh, they would get a, a sense, and sometimes we would get a sense for the first time that Paul was having issues or had, you know, had a, um, a negative interaction with a guard or whatever. So, um, we don't really need that sort of communication now, but I'm interested to see if the public monitoring folks will speak to Paul uh, and ask him if he's got questions because we, we do have questions about whether he can get uh, support for asking for clemency from President Putin and for other things. Um, and it's not really clear how Paul would avail himself of that without knowing any of the Russian language. Yeah, you know, um, his attorney, I think it was uh, Vladimir Zerobankov, um, yeah, some interesting things happened to him um, 
Um, and it's not clear exactly what, what, what he's able to do now. Uh, what is the situation with him and that attorney? As far as we knew up until, uh, well, up until today, Paul hasn't had any interactions with Mr. Jerebenkov, uh, who was his defense counsel uh, and was appointed by the FSB a, a few days after his arbitrary detention in Moscow. Um, he hasn't had any contact with him since he left Moscow, which was last August or September. So uh, we were very surprised to see that Mr. Jerebenkov might be going to visit him. And as you say, uh, after the trial was over, Mr. Jerebenkov's firm was taken from him by the Russian government. Uh, it's not clear to me that he's able to practice or, or, or what his practice in, is uh, encompassing these days. So uh, yeah, it, it was a surprise. It'll be, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how that uh, unfolds. Now, we do know that um, a meeting is planned between President Biden and Vladimir Putin coming up in a few days. I think it's next week. A number of things are going to be talked about. What do you expect from that? I'm not sure that I expect anything concrete in relation to Paul. I think, as many people do, uh, there are, are generally low expectations for uh, actionable outcomes from the summit next week. But I think everybody is hopeful, and certainly from what I read in the Russian press, it's not just from the U.S. side, that the summit between President Putin and President Biden will at least return both countries to a degree of normalcy. And for families like us uh, who have people detained by the Russian government, um, it creates, I think, future, uh, future opportunities for seeking their release. Things, you know, right now, no one's talking to each other. At least if, if, if the two nations are talking, then a release becomes something that people can talk about. Uh, and we're, we haven't even gotten to that stage yet. What uh, kind of uh, engagement uh, have you had with the Biden administration? We didn't uh, see much happening with the Trump folks. Uh, and I'm just wondering, has that changed at all with the new administration? Very early on, and uh, I can't recall the date now, I think it was January even, uh, but certainly it was in February, if not, uh, Secretary Blinken um, from Secretary of State Blinken met with uh, more than 40 families on a virtual call and made clear that the State Department uh, knew about their cases, uh, was uh, concerned about arbitrary detentions uh, and, and Americans being held hostage by foreign governments. And I think that really set the tone that we have experienced since then, which is not that we have a lot of interaction with the uh, U.S. government outside of consular uh, support, but we are confident that when we do interact with them or when we see the messaging that they share publicly, which is far more often than uh, happened during the Trump administration, uh, that they are aware uh, of these situations. And the fact that they haven't solved them yet doesn't mean that they aren't working on them. And I think that that gives us some confidence and, and some hope that uh, uh, Paul will not be spending you know, a 16-year term in Mordovia, that he'll be home to his family before that. We've seen a couple of messages from Blinken um, as it relates to, to Paul uh, in the last few weeks. Uh, have you, when, when was the last time anybody from the government spoke to you, your family, about Paul? My sister was in, uh, my sister Elizabeth was in uh, Washington just a few weeks ago, and I think that would have been the time. Uh, and, and she tries to get down there regularly to, uh, you know, rattle door handles and, and let people know that we're still uh, interested in what they're doing. And uh, we have ideas we're happy to share if they're interested in having ideas. Um, so, yeah, as, as recently as a few weeks ago, uh, uh, Elizabeth was down there um, doing her rounds, speaking to who she, whom she could with, you know, the COVID restrictions have made that more difficult in some ways. Um, but I think it's important for us to, to, keep on them in that way to, 
again, not that they, their interest would, would lag necessarily, because I think they are concerned about Americans being treated this way. Um, but I think it's important for us to continue to help to provide ideas or support or, you know, to, to help if there are log jams to um, suggest options for unjamming the logs. So, uh, so yeah, it, it's, it's been relatively recent. You know, I did see in your note as well that Kremlin spokesman Dmitry Peskov said uh, that the two presidents might discuss Russian and American prisoners at next week's summit. Um, you know, Trevor Reed is also there. Have you had any contact at all with that family? Do, do your families uh, sort of get to speak or engage in any way? Yes, Elizabeth tends to manage those sorts of relationships, and she has worked with a number of families uh, who have uh, loved ones in a variety of countries. Um, the uh, Videls, who have a uh, their father in Venezuela, uh, the Reed family with Trevor in Moscow, um, and others. So uh, yes, so we've we've been in, in contact with them. Mm. Does anyone get the sense that uh, anything more than just a possibility of the, your brother's case being brought up during this meeting is what we should expect. Has there been any uh, inkling that there's more, uh, a likelihood of anything more happening or that there could, um, it, that anything's being worked on more than just the possibility? No, uh, I'm not aware. I, I mean, I was surprised even to read that in the Russian media this morning that that the discussion of prisoners might even be on the agenda between the presidents. I could see, you know, some of the uh, other people, maybe the Minister of Foreign Affairs speaking to the Secretary of State about it or whatever, but to have it actually on the presidential agenda surprised me. And I think from Paul's perspective, the, the hurdle that exists is that the Russians have been very focused on using the prisoner transfer convention, which would allow them to have Russian prisoners in America sent back to Russia to serve their terms out in Russia and then they would send Americans who are serving terms in Russia to America, again, to finish their prison sentences in America. So, I mean, it, it creates a, a difficult situation, which is that although Paul would be back potentially in the United States, he would still be serving an unjust prison sentence. And I'm, I'm not sure how that gets squared in, at the end of the day. So, um, yeah, so I, I think at this point, it really is, you know, really just the hope that the prisoners are discussed at some level during the summit. That would be fantastic. Uh, because again, it's about opening doors, I think, at this point, rather than necessarily expecting specific actions in support of these people. What has been, I think, the most um, difficult part of this process um, in the last year since we've spoken uh, for you? And, uh, you know, obviously he's your twin, and so there's a special connection between you guys. But what's been the most difficult part about this last year for you? Uh, Boy, I'm not sure how to answer that. It's uh, the I think the entire process of, of getting up every morning and uh, researching the Russian news to try and find out information that you don't have, that your family doesn't have, that Paul doesn't have, uh, that the U.S. government isn't aware of. Um, mm. it, it's it, it's tiring, and and you start to wonder if you're ever going to get <laughs> to the end of it. Uh, so I think um, we have uh, tried to be very careful about being too hopeful because obviously you don't want to have false hopes. Um, I think the time after his uh, trial and when Paul was sent out to Mordovia and we, we really didn't have communication with him, we didn't know what his situation was like. And we only really had the awful stories you can find on the internet about Russian labor camps. 
to to fill our information void. Uh, I think that was probably the worst because we really had now no ability to communicate with him. We had no lawyers going to visit him. The consular staff weren't able to, you know, sort of stop by. Um, and I think that that significant isolation made it more difficult for all of us. Obviously, Paul's in the worst part of this uh, this uh, predicament, but it's difficult as family members also to to not have that connection to your your family member because then obviously you think the worst is happening. Yeah, it's hard not to have that information. You know, um, we have tried on a couple of occasions to reach out to your brother uh, and unsuccessfully, I might add. Um, and I did note in your note that um, the warden there has banned phone calls from Paul to anyone other than your parents. What, what, dr what drove that? Do you know? He, he has, uh, we've been passing along uh, media phone numbers to Paul via the phone calls that he's had with my parents. And uh, I'm not really clear on how the, the phone system works, whether it's all uh, phone calls that are approved by the prison or whether some of them are across the probably illicit uh, prisoner <laughs> phone network. There seems to be a huge problem in Russian labor colonies uh, with uh, um, prohibited phones being used for phone calls outside of the, uh, outside of the prison. So I'm not sure how the phone calls have been made. Um, but for a, a few times, he's been able to actually speak to journalists uh, and have an interview very similar to the one you and I are having right now. And, and so one of those aired last week, uh, an interview with Jen Jennifer Hansler from uh, CNN. And uh, as soon as that hit the media, uh, Warden Denisov appears to have locked down Paul's privileges. What is it that we haven't asked about or known about that we should know about that's important when it comes to your brother's situation, the situation in general with your entire family and everything that, um, you know, is at stake here now? I feel as though I've really been asked probably about everything that I would have expected. What still strikes me, uh, and it's not just the Whelan family, it's the Reed family, it's the Vidal family, it's, it's many of these families, um, is how much work it takes for the family of a detainee, of a hostage, um, of someone wrongfully held by a foreign nation to constantly be working for that person's release and, and really how long it's, it's started to take to have that happen. If we look back to previous detentions that the Russians did of American citizens, some of them lasted a few weeks, maybe a year. Uh, Paul's been there for two and a half years, is likely to be there for three years, um, if not longer. And I think that the, the struggle really is how long family resources can, can last in these sorts of situations. At what time do the, do the government efforts start to get to the point where they are ramped up enough that the family can perhaps back off a little bit. And we've seen a little bit of that this last year, but I think uh, perhaps maybe during interviews, uh, not enough has been discussed about the, the really negative impacts on families and their resources. Uh, the, the sacrifices that people are making in order to attempt to free their, their children, their spouses, their, their brothers or sisters. Um, and and how those efforts really, at the in the in the end, aren't making any difference because it really comes down to, can one nation persuade another sovereign nation to release its citizens? All right, David, thank you for taking time to talk with me uh, this morning about this. Um, and you know, as we started off from the very beginning, trying to engage with you and your family about. 
Paul's situation, uh, I'd like to reiterate that um, it's important to me as a fellow American, as a citizen, as a person, to do whatever it is that I can to help you. Uh, and that hasn't changed since 2018. And it's not going to change uh, even after your brother is home. So I hope you know that um, this isn't just about uh, a piece of news. This is about um, you know the, the reality of a family being in a situation like yours is. And what we, I think, uh, should do as fellow Americans and humans for those people who find themselves in these very difficult situations. So I hope you understand that this is more about um, humanity than it is about journalism. I appreciate that, uh, JJ. Yes, I think over the last two and a half years, uh, you have stood out as someone who uh, was approaching this story not as merely a way to get clicks or business. And uh, I really, I am very grateful for that. Uh, I, I always look forward to it. And I know my sister looks forward to talking to you uh, because we know that, you know, when we're talking to you, we know we are talking to someone who cares about Paul as an individual and not Paul as a story. David Whelan, Paul Whelan's brother. We'll stay focused on the story and of course the summit and we'll bring you all the latest details as we get them regarding what takes place in Geneva. In the meantime, coming up on our next episode, speaking of Paul Whelan and this summit between President Biden and Russian President Vladimir Putin, what's actually going to get accomplished there? Uh, competition in the Arctic. The concern about uh, Russian uh, assault on Ukraine. And most assuredly, uh, there'll be some discussion about uh, cyber. Former Director of National Intelligence Jim Clapper, who, by the way, has been the best interview we've had in that position on this show and in the past and perhaps even in the future. And the main reason I say that is because he spent more than 50 years, five zero years in U.S. intelligence. Few, if any, know more about U.S. intelligence than he. And along with the gravitas he brings to that topic, he also brings a deep understanding of how these summits work. You know, I'm speculating here just based on uh, experience with uh, prior uh, Russia-U.S. Uh, head of state uh, encounters. Uh, and those, are, to me, are the most likely topics. Um, you know, given that typically the way these things work is an hour or so of meeting and half of that is taken up with translation. So there, there's a, a, a sort of a physical or mechanical limit on uh, how many topics you can cover. That's it for this episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email. I'd love to hear from you. You can contact me at jgreen at wtop.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskeytangooscarpapa.com. jgreen at wtop.com. We'd like to invite you to please subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. Also, if you'd like more national security information, you can sign up as well for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. That's Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night. And welcome to T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. The most fun you'll ever listen to while you're folding your clothes. Now let's get this straight. This is nuts. 
your average podcast. T-Pain Snappy Boy Radio is super fun, super crazy. It's pretty much an in-your-face conversation. That's the good thing about us. We don't do interviews. We do conversations. All of my guests, all of my co-hosts, we chill. We drink, we play games, we have the song of the week, we have the creative curse word of the week, as long as you're having fun as our guest. Speaking of guests, each week I'm going to go through my whole contact list and dive head first into the world of music, gaming, exotic cars, tech, strippers probably, doctors probably, probably strippers that are only stripping so they can pay for tuition to become a doctor. You never know. My wife is a certified bartender. She'll make you a drink while you're here. We'll get you drunk and make you play VR after. It's a lot going on, but that's what it's all about over here at T-Pain's Nappy Boy Radio Podcast. See you soon, baby! Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.